Let's turn to God's Word. <clears throat> our, our reading today is in two parts, so we're going to do part one at this stage, which is in Numbers chapter 11, page 147, if you're following in the Pew Bibles, page 147. This is God's Word. Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned amongst them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Tibera, because fire from the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we had in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. People went around gathering it and then ground it in a handmill or crushed it in a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes. But it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the Jews settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you, that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I have found favor in your eyes and, I, and do not let me face my own ruin. And the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. And we'll end our reading for the time being at verse 17. And may God bless his word to our hearts. We continue to worship him. Uh, let's turn again to the book of Numbers as we come to part two of our reading, page 148. I'm going to come in at Numbers chapter 11 and verse 18. Again, we hear God's word. I tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. 
The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five, ten, or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. You have wailed before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And Lord, you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took the spirit of the spirit that was on Moses and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his Spirit upon them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Now a wind went out from the camp and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and they gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Then they spread them all out around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people. And he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore the place was named Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had craved other food. From Kibroth Hatava, the people traveled to Hazaroth and stayed there. And may God bless his word to our hearts today. I want to speak today from Numbers chapter 11 on the theme of grumbling versus blessing. The great encampment of Israel had been encamped around the region of Sinai for almost 11 months. In chapter 10, we discover that this vast group of people has been asked by the Lord to upcamp and start to move towards Canaan, towards the promised land. So it would only be a matter of a few weeks before they would reach the promised land. Chapter 10 ends on a positive note with Moses declaring, Rise up, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered, may your foes flee before you. So all is looking good. There is a a positive, vibrant spirit. But then we hit chapter 11. And we hit a kind of midterm crisis because Israel starts to grumble and grouse. 
It starts to complain about the hardness of the journey, but then it moves on to complaints about the lack of imagination with the menu and the food choice. Yes, indeed, the menu lacked variety, and so they began to think back to life in Egypt. And they said, back in Egypt, we had cucumbers, we had leeks, we had onions, we had meat, we had garlic. But of course, the one thing that they forgot was that back in Egypt, they were slaves. They were captives. They didn't have their freedom. They forgot that under the Egyptian regime, they had oppression and they had hardships. And Pharaoh was even killing their children. The people were developing short memories of what they had been delivered from. They forgot that they had been crying out daily to God, Lord, rescue us from Egypt, rescue us from Pharaoh. They had forgotten that. In this first verse of chapter 11, we see the Lord's anger is being aroused with all of this. And it's not easy to arouse the Lord's anger because he's patient, he's long-suffering. But here they were stepping into dangerous territory and the Lord sent a warning. He began to singe the edge of the camp. But they don't take heed of that. They continue to agitate a group of people, which in chapter 11 is called the rabble. The rabble began to grumble more and more and the grumbling began to spread amongst the camp. In verse 10, it tells us that whenever Moses is out walking amongst the tents of the camp, At the door of each tent, people are starting to grumble and groan and complain and grouse. It is contagious. A spirit of of grumbling is counter to the spirit of God. People are sometimes surprised, especially in the Old Testament, whenever they read that people began to grumble and complain, the fact that the Lord became angry. But you see, God treats grumbling quite seriously because it reflects an attitude of a lack of trust. Sometimes we think of grumbling or complaining as one of those respectable sins. There's not too much harm in it. And sure, we all do a bit of grumbling, don't we? Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger. You see, if you have a grumbling, complaining spirit against God, against the church, against somebody, it kind of develops into a, a bitterness, even a rage. It's an unjustified anger. The Bible talks about anger that is righteous and justified. And God displays righteous anger against sin and sinful ways. It's very difficult for us to be angry in a righteous way. No, we can be. But if it's not dealt with properly, that righteous anger can become unrighteous anger. That, that can become a bitter spirit, a, a spirit even of rage. And the trouble was with Israel that they had an unrighteous anger. It was a wrong spirit. It was a selfish spirit. It, it fundamentally showed a lack of trust in the Lord because it was only a few weeks and they were going to be in the, in the promised land. They were going to be in Canaan, Canaan, a fertile land. They would have all the melons and onions and, and garlic that they wanted. But here they were rebelling against him. Now sometimes as Christians, we can forget what we have been saved from. Sometimes we can grow a bit cynical. Sometimes our hearts can grow hard. We can learn to to complain about the smallest of things. And that's because we have forgotten what we have been saved from. We've not been saved from Egypt. 
We've been saved from the, the darkness and the dominion of Satan. Colossians says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. Ephesians 2 and 1 says, we were dead in trespasses and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So as we go on our lives as Christians, we need to avoid this spirit of complacency, of complaining and grumbling and grieving. It's much better to reflect on the, the blessings that we have in Christ, to have an attitude of gratitude that we have been saved from the evil one. I always love being around the company of people who are always grateful for what they have in Christ. Sometimes you're visiting someone and, and maybe they're going through a real time of challenge, maybe of illness or sickness, but you come away from the house uplifted and encouraged because there's such a, a, a positive attitude. They don't grumble, they don't complain. They trust the Lord. But Numbers 11, and this is the only time this word appears, in Numbers 11 it talks about the rabble. Those who are constantly griping and discontented and never happy. Don't be one of those people. In fact, don't even hang out with those kind of people because they infect your spirit. Rather seek out those who are a real encouragement. The journey of faith is sometimes difficult. The Israelites were finding the, the desert experience hard, punishing. It was wearing them down. But this grumbling was negative and it was getting to Moses, their leader. And he was uh, really feeling this, really feeling the responsibility and the burden of leading what probably was up to about a million people by this stage. And so in verse 12, he gives off to the Lord. He says, why should I have to carry these people? Did I give birth to the, these people? Did I ask for this? Do I need to carry this people as a nurse carries an infant? So Moses has a severe case of the per me's. We've all been there, haven't we? Per me. Everything seems to be going against me. Per me as I seek to lead this people. Per me as I try and provide food. Per me as they do nothing but complain. The grumbling has got to Moses. And it has got to the point where he says, I would rather die than lead this people forward. Perhaps there have been times in your leadership, in an organization, maybe times in ministry, where you've been surrounded by a grumbling, complaining spirit, and you say, Lord, why me? I didn't sign up for this. Lord, take, take me away from all of this. But as Moses prays, as he gives off to the Lord, the Lord gives him some perspective. Raymond Brown in his commentary says, the secret of effective leadership is to recognize the limitations of human responsibility. Certain things we must do and other things that only God can do and others are meant to do. And sometimes because we're Christians and sometimes because we're conscientious, what can happen is that the burden of leadership and the burden of other people's irresponsibility begins to weigh us down. 
But actually, we're not called to do that work. Somebody else is called to do that work. We're not meant to take it on ourselves. And it's stressing us out. Many good and honest and conscientious people get themselves down for they're trying to do maybe what God should be doing or what other people should be doing. And God speaks to Moses and he says, Moses, I never asked you to take on the burden completely yourself. And so he says to Moses, I want you to get the elders together, 70 elders, and they are going to step up. And they are going to share in the responsibilities of leadership. There is going to be a partnership with some of the load carried by the elders. Now, of course, in the Presbyterian church, we have government by elders. So the the, the name Presbyterian comes from presbyteros, which is the Greek word for elder. So a very key part of a Presbyterian church is leading through eldership. God never intended for there to be one-man ministry. God always wanted the leadership to be shared amongst a number of people. And so I, I thank God for my elders. I thank God that the elders share in the decision-making. They share in the policy-making. They share whenever the difficult issues come up. I thank God weekly for elders. I couldn't imagine doing this alone. I think it literally would kill me. So God has, has got this principle. It's in the Old Testament. It's carried into the New Testament. The importance of partnership in sharing and leadership. It spreads the load. Yes, there will sometimes need to be a, a figurehead, perhaps, who sets the, the direction and the tone. And there is a certain loneliness in leadership but it is always meant to be shared. And the Lord is now going to show Moses and he's going to show the people that the authority is to be shared going forward. And so he says to Moses, I want you to gather the elders around the tent of meeting. And then I'm going to take something of the spirit that is on you and it's going to come off you and it's going to come onto these elders. And I'm going to anoint them with the authority of leadership and partnership. Now we're not told uh, in detail what happens except that it says these elders as they gathered began to prophesy. The anointing of the Spirit came upon them. Maybe they, they made some kind of ecstatic utterance. Maybe it was tongues. We don't know. Maybe they were able to prophesy, foretell, foretell. We're not given the detail. But whatever happened, it was obvious that God was moving upon them, that God was, was moving in their lives. Something significant was happening. And it was an anointing of authority. It was telling Moses and the people that the authority of leadership was now shared. It was a way of the Lord saying, you know, Moses, you think that you're in control of the situation, but actually I'm in control. And so he lifts the spirit from from Moses and he shares it with his 70 elders. It is not man induced, it is God who works. God, in fact, can say, I can totally take control of you as a person. I can even disable you. I could have you lying on the floor. I suppose we use that, that, that phrase, slain in the spirit. God can do that because he is ultimate and powerful. 
And the interesting thing about this incident is that two of the elders, for some reason, we're not told why, two of the elders were not gathered with the rest of the elders. They were in another part of the camp. And as the Spirit falls on the 70 or the 60, it gathered. The two elders who are not present, they also begin to prophesy in the camp. And someone runs to Moses and says, Moses, there's two folks here and they're prophesying. Stop them, stop them. And Moses has a generous spirit. He says, no, the Lord is moving. The Lord has moved on these men. Let, let the Lord do his work. He says, in fact, verse 29, he says, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. Moses loves to see this because it is the Lord displaying his power. And he's, he's setting out this principle of the sharing, the partnership of mission and ministry. And it was in an environment of faith. Uh, last week, <clears throat> uh, we're going through a, a book as staff, and uh, we were talking about experiences of, of the Holy Spirit. And where sometimes, as in this instance, the Holy Spirit can manifest himself to a people, to a church, and it's a very significant outpouring of the Spirit, but it kind of is a, a sort of a one-off anointing. Uh, and we were sharing around us different things that people had experienced in, term, in terms of this. Uh, and sometimes it might have been a speaking in tongues. Sometimes it might have been uh, a brimming with joy, a kind of an overflowing with joy to, to the extent that you, you just you can't stop laughing. Uh, and eventually it, 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 it kind of dies down. But these sort of experiences of the Spirit are God giving a special anointing, perhaps for ministry, perhaps for a challenge that is coming. But this one-off ecstatic anointing, if you like, is something different from the gifts of the Spirit that Paul spoke about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Because there when Paul speaks about prophecy and, and other gifts, it's meant to be an ongoing ministry in the church. But I think what is happening here in the Old Testament, you get it in other places as well, is this kind of, almost some people use the term baptism of the Spirit, but it's a very powerful one-off anointing of God for a reason, for a purpose. And it says here that it did not happen again. But the, God was giving his blessing on the leadership. He was saying to the people, Moses and this team of elders are to share in the leadership of this camp going forward. Follow them, submit to them, be guided by them. And this will bring the blessing down. But grumbling is not conducive to blessing. Grumbling, as I've said, grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And it fundamentally shows a lack of trust in the Lord. Much better to have a spirit of openness, a spirit of faith, a spirit of trust in God. And so the final thing that we see here in this, in this chapter 11 of Numbers is that the original complaint, Lord, we have no meat. Then the Lord brings them meat in the form of of quail. And in this miracle, God stirs up a great wind which brings quail into the camp. Now, I understand, doing a little bit of background reading on this, that uh, at certain times of the year, large numbers of quail will migrate from, from one region to another, and, and quite a lot of it happens around this region of Sinai. 
These birds, and I wouldn't know a quail if it hit me, but these birds apparently are, have got quite heavy bodies and small wings. So they are very, very dependent on the wind to fly and to migrate. So in this particular case, God brings a wind. He brings thousands and thousands of these birds, but they're flying at the level of three feet, which is quite unusual. But such is the type of wind that God brings that they're flying at three feet level. So it's very easy for the people to catch these birds, give them a quick knock on the head, and then kill them and, and start to eat. So this is, this is a miracle. Yes, it's a natural event. The migration of the birds is a natural event, but the, the timing of it, the, the manner of it is very obviously uh, divine intervention. And so God brings the quail into the camp, and it says that they cover the camp a day's walk in every direction. A day's walk in every direction. They are up to their oxters in quail. But it perhaps is a case of be careful what you wish for. Because they're now wading through this stuff and they have enough to feed them for a month. But it came with a price because some people began to fall ill. And a plague came with the quail. You see, grumbling does not create an environment that is conducive to the Lord's blessing. So we need to be careful. Does this mean that it is never right to complain, never right to grumble against God or against church leadership? Well, sometimes, sometimes there can be something wrong. Sometimes there needs to be something called out that is not right. But the problem with the complaining here is that it was self-centered. It was not for the honor of God. God would raise up his own prophets through time who would speak truth to power. Whenever the kings of Israel were doing things wrong, God would raise up prophets who would complain about their activities and their godlessness. So sometimes there is a righteous complaining, a righteous grumbling. So as we close off today, is God leading us to stand up and speak out against something that is wrong and sinful? Or is it simply our own selfishness that we're simply complaining because we're not getting our own way? The grumbling of the Israelites was self-centered. It was impatient. It fundamentally showed a lack of trust in God because they were weeks away from the promised land, weeks away. And God was asking them to trust him, to be patient, and to be faithful. Sometimes we need to be patient. Walking in the desert, and and we've said part of the reason for doing this series is that in the Western world, which is not conducive really to faith, uh, it's difficult. It's difficult being a Christian. Just last week, obviously, you probably in the news heard about the, the census results that in the United Kingdom, for the first time in the United Kingdom, it's saying that less than half the population is either stating that they're a Christian or connected to Christianity. And that is the environment that we are living in. That is the environment we're trying to encourage people to have faith in. But God is always on the move. God is always doing something. We need to be patient and listen and seek his spirit. And I believe strongly that 
that one of the keys to this is an openness to the Holy Spirit and to what he is saying to the church, what he is saying to us as individuals, and yes, you know, seeking that anointing, seeking the blessing, seeking the gifts of the Spirit, that that's the way that God wants us to move through the desert with that miraculous uh, side to the church. The desert will always have its difficulties, but we hold on, we keep trusting, and we ask for his Spirit to bring his blessing, shall we pray? And as we pray, we, we wait on the Spirit and we ask Holy Spirit to move amongst us and perhaps reveal to us if we have, if we have a spirit of complaining, a spirit of grumbling, a spirit that is not right for the people of God that Holy Spirit, you might reveal to us, even as individuals, if we have moved out of your will, that we have a grumbling, complaining, bitter spirit. Speak to us, Lord. Help us to repent of it, to confess it. And in the place of that, we ask for your spirit to give us a fresh anointing, a fresh blessing, fresh encouragement and direction. for we dare not move up without you. And for the glory and for the good of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.